Hello, Monetization Nation. Welcome back to another episode with Paul Chambers. In the last episode, we discussed how to take care of our customers using recurring revenue models. Today, we're going to discuss the pros and cons of several different recurring revenue models, along with tips and tricks for each model. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. What do you think are the best subscription revenue models? And then as you identify those, after you identify those, maybe we could just go through one by one and maybe you could just share a few tips and secrets about each of those. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, there's subscription revenue models where there's a service and there's a need and people continue to need that is extremely valuable. Replenishables are a great one. Great example of that. There's two sides of that, right? There's software, there's the SaaS side of things, and then there's, you know, replenishables. And this was actually, I talked about this recently on a, a live that we did with the, the founding team of Gentleman's Box and Subta. Early on in the days of Gentleman's Box, we went out and we met with um, just we, we, we weren't raising capital, but we met with a group of various different investors because we were thinking about raising capital. We wanted to see what they'd be looking for as we, as we did a raise. And we met with a guy named uh, Jack Abraham, super smart guy, uh, built and sold a company in his early 20s uh, that he sold to eBay, made a lot of money doing fun things in Silicon Valley. And he sat down with us. He's like, guys, I love what you're doing. Uh, I think this is so cool but it needs some sort of replenishable product inside. You should put like a razor or, or something inside. And we're like, yeah, okay, good. Thanks, Jack. But you know, we we're happy with what we have. We're doing really well. We're growing. Um, I'd love to keep talking to you. He went on to, to co-found hymns, hymns or keeps is hymns. Um, and, you know, which is now one of the leading hair, hair growth subscriptions and they do um, male, erectile dysfunction in there and a couple other things. And, um, you know, he went on to basically like he built a company around what we should have done with gentlemen's box at the time and put that replenishable as something that people need on a monthly basis. Dollar shave club is a classic, great example of it. Mm -hmm. They beat the big guys to the market in terms of giving you something that you use on a monthly basis that you need to replenish, uh, quip with toothbrushes and toothpaste out there. I mean, there's, there's, Tons and tons of examples. Birchbox is the early day of it. So the subscribe and save, the replenishable stuff, that is a fantastic subscription model because people will continue to need it. Discovery and Delight is as well. When you look at like a lot of subscription boxes, um, FabFitFun is a great example of that. Um, people you know, love seeing that on a monthly or quarterly basis. I'm a big fan of discovery and delight subscription boxes on a quarterly basis, whereas monthly, monthly gets really hard to keep, keep doing on a monthly basis. You know, people churn after maybe six or seven months. So looking at a quarterly model on that is extremely beneficial and helpful. Um, you know, there's a growing massive audience for media and streaming out there. Yeah. Um, it's always amazing to me how my kids will never know CBS, NBC, ABC, turn it to channel yeah. two, four, seven. They know I want to watch YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, or Disney plus. Yeah. Sometimes Amazon prime, right? It's just like, 
we see Disney Plus reached 100 million subscribers. Uh, NBC launched Peacock. You have Paramount Plus. You have Discovery Plus. All these, it's all streaming now. And that, to me, that game is completely open still. I think, you know, while you've got the big networks getting into it and they're powerhouses and they have billion dollar budgets like Apple does to pump into studios, I think there's still a ton of opportunity for creators. If you get a group of YouTube creators to go out there and create their own streaming channel, it could blow up. If you take, like, if you took the top 10 YouTube creators right now and they started their own streaming service and they said to their whole audience, like, Hey, uh, we are moving to our new streaming service. We launched called creator plus my kids would immediately ask me to, to, to download that app. Right. So there's, I think this is still, while we look at some of these big streaming companies and say, like, wow, okay. Disney is going to clearly dominate this. I, I think there's a ton of opportunity in that too, to see what'll happen. And then, you know, look at like New York times has had one of its best years yeah. ever. They totally pivoted their model from, you know, you know, the newspaper that would get dropped in your front door, you pick up at the airport sky lounge or wherever it may be uh, to we, you know, Apple news plus completely changed the game on that. Um, and even, you know, like Apple is betting the future of their company on subscription. The biggest, one of the biggest brands in the world, they have Apple One now where you subscribe to your storage and your, your parental controls and your music and everything all under one subscription. And it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think I touched base on a lot of models in there. I'm sure there's some that I missed, but it, you know, it all comes back to, to creating those relationships with your consumer. And that's where you're going to see the most success. Love it. Okay, so let's let's go through those really quick. Let's talk about boxes first. Mm-hmm. What are the pros and the cons of the boxes model? What are some of the secrets and strategies you might share? And maybe a story of of a box, maybe even your box company. And yeah, pros. So pros and cons. Um, pros always the recurring revenue side of it. Um, I I think discovery and delight, introducing new stuff to people. Um, you get a fun, a lot of fun brands that you can connect with and include inside your subscription box. You know, we had that with gentlemen's box, you know, manscaped, which is another, you know, they've got a subscription component to what they're doing. They came to gentlemen's box and we did some inclusions with them. Uh, we actually did dollar shave club in the past too. Uh, cons, you get a little bit faster churn, six, seven months. You start to see people get a little, what we call box burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you, you see that in there, but on the flip side of this, there's tons of opportunity. I mean, I'm telling you, like, I've got a stack of boxes out there in the other room because we, we bring them in and we do live unboxings. We have a subscription review show on our YouTube channel. Um, we feature them during the holidays. We, so we take our sub to members and include them in PR stuff and things like that. And there's boxes for travel. There's boxes for kids baking. There's boxes for kids clay. There's, there's a horse box that you get to order for your horse on a monthly basis. So if there's a niche out there, there's an opportunity to build a subscription box into it. There's over 7,000 different subscription boxes out there oh and goodness. they can be nice little lifestyle businesses. They don't need to be these massive like loot crate and fab fit fun. And you know, all these different ones, they don't necessarily, it's, it's hard to crack that code and continue to scale, but you could have a nice, nice lifestyle business that makes you, you know, a nice, a nice salary on an annual basis. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of fun things that are in a subscription box. What's the best software to run a subscription box business? We actually, um, as Subta just put out a piece called Picking the Perfect Platform. And we did that. Uh, we had a session at our last Subsummit virtual event in 2020. And uh, I created that 
that session and that, that uh, topic in this ongoing content piece because people ask that question a lot. And it truly matters of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. If you're launching a subscription box, CrateJoy makes it super fast and easy to build a subscription box. They've got a marketplace you can immediately start selling into. So you already have an audience that's coming and looking for your subscription boxes. Um, on the flip side of that, CrateJoy could have its challenges and it's not, you know, it doesn't have products or, you know, uh, you can't shift to quarterly within it. So people oftentimes look at Shopify and Shopify is building a subscription widget into what they're doing. Um, but it's not quite there yet. So you look at an add-on plugins within Shopify and Recharge and Bold are some of the first two that come to mind that you can take and build on top of, make it super easy. So Shopify, again, very easy to build. You don't have the audience in there right away like you do with something like CreateJoy. So you have to go out there and market it on mysubscriptionaddiction.com yourself or other places. Um, and then there's other ones like Order Groove and Zora that take it to the next level. Uh, Zora is more enterprise level. So if you're Nike and you want to get into subscription, you'd maybe consider Zora as a solution. Um, Order Groove is making big waves out there. They have some cool AI features built into what they're doing. They're getting tightly integrated with Shopify. Uh, and then, you know, if you really want to get scrappy, where we started Gentleman's Box was WooCommerce. And when we launched Gentleman's Box, CreateJoy didn't exist yet. Recharge was just an idea. And it was like, things were just getting rolling. And we had to hack a hack away at WooCommerce to get subscriptions to work for us, you know, with the way we wanted to. So, you know, if you want something a little more flexibility, there's a great solution there as well. Uh, let's go ahead and move to SaaS products. Yeah. What are some of the pros and cons of building a subscription business around a SaaS um, model and, and maybe some ideas of, of secrets of success you have for yeah. that? So pros, if you can build a good solution that people love and, and need, they're never going to leave you. I don't say never, but less likely to, to, to leave you at some point in time. They'll stay subscribed. They'll stay on as long as they're using that solution. The con, or I like to say maybe the challenge in there, is you have to continue to evolve it. And we ran into this problem when we built Quotion back in the day. We thought we would build it, set it, get subscribers, and, and you know, like just live in riches of money raining down on us because people were paying us monthly for you know, this software. And then the bugs started happening. And then people started breaking the system because they were building too many proposals and they asked for this feature and that feature and that integration. So you can't have that mentality of building a SaaS solution and that it's going to, you're not going to need to continue to invest in it. And that was our critical mistake in, in quote gen at the time is that we just absolutely did not plan for that and didn't anticipate that. Um, and so having a technical co-founder, you know, in those types of situations can be helpful because we're paying developers to constantly do that, especially in the early days, it gets expensive. Um, you know, so definitely pros, you, you have that audience and you can build it, but you have to continue to, to support them and you have to continue to engage there. I think there's, again, it's one of those, like there's so many SaaS companies, there's tens of thousands of SaaS companies out there, but tons of opportunity still to create solutions that people are looking for. I mean, it's, it's an ever-growing, expanding universe of, of ways. I mean, look at companies like Canva, right? Wildly popular and successful. And they could have been like, oh gosh, you know, Adobe's creating a, a subscription for Photoshop now and we're, we're done and we're cooked. But they just found a way to make it easier, to make it better, to yeah. provide better solutions. And so, you know, my 
my philosophy is like, leave no stone unturned and, and look at what your biggest pain points are and challenges in your day. And if something doesn't already, already exist for that, then that's a great opportunity to build it. Love it. Let's move to uh, membership models mm-hmm. uh, with associations being one example of that, or, or maybe a membership site of some type. Uh, what are the pros and cons of building a subscription model around a membership community? Yeah. And maybe, maybe give us some ideas, some, some secrets of success for that since you've done that. Yeah. I, I, you know, membership, and this has kind of been one of our lessons learned as we've been growing Subta is making sure that we're consistently providing value. Right. Um, And we're very fortunate now at this point, we've got an amazing content team. And so we're constantly putting out new content and, and we have to decide on like what's free and what stands behind that paywall of bringing people in the door uh, we err on the side of giving way more away than we probably even should because, uh, you know, people would likely you know, pay for that, but we want to grow the community. We want to help people as much as possible. And if they find us helpful, then they'll engage and subscribe and become members. Uh, but that's, you know, again, you know, it's one of those things continuing to provide value in that membership and what people are paying for and what they're getting out of it. And you can look at membership. You can look at a lot of traditional subscription businesses and they, they can fall into that membership category. Um, you know, I'm a member of Amazon Prime, but I also, you know, I subscribe to Amazon Prime too, but I, I almost consider myself to be, and so they, they kind of cross, they're cross-functional a little bit there. And to me, almost like, you know, a good membership is something you'll pay for on a monthly basis and never question that charge or even not even know when that charge hits your credit card. Yeah, I couldn't tell you on my Amazon Renews. Same with me. Yeah. I don't know. And I, and I don't care think about canceling it. No. And, and like, I don't think, don't tell Jeff Bezos this. I don't think they're charging me enough. Like <laughs> I get so much value. I'm like, fine. Yeah. Take whatever it is. And like, is it even 120 now? I don't even know. But all I know is like, I am so happy for that service. You know, I ordered a, a mirror like two days ago, showed up at my doorstep today. It was supposed to come on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like a new bathroom mirror. And it's like, wow, this came, it even came early. And I'm like, Again, not enough money. You're not charging me enough. But, and so that's where I think those types of memberships, um, finding opportunities to create community, to, to do more for people and, and help them. That's where membership can stand to be really advantageous. So the one negative thing about Amazon Prime, and, and I love Amazon Prime and we pay for it and I will keep paying. I have no plans to ever stop paying for it. But yeah. one negative about it is it is a subscription not a membership, right? I don't feel like I belong to Amazon Prime. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I pay for it and get a service in exchange for it. Absolutely. It feels like Amazon has a great opportunity if they created something that I, I could belong to, where they could provide that. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think I, I still remark that their Amazon video service is one of the most clunky user interfaces out there. I don't understand how they can't make that better or they haven't make, made it better. And you look at what a lot of the streaming services are doing now, like Sling, uh, I think Netflix started doing this where you can, you can join in and watch things with people. And that I, I think Amazon's missing a huge opportunity to do something like that and to create community and to build community. Now the pandemic happened, you know, a lot faster and everything came down real quick. And so companies weren't ready to scale their tech solutions and things like that. Those kind of things take time to build. I think you're exactly right. Amazon has this huge opportunity to build a community around what they have and what they're offering. And 
I don't know, you know, if they're too big to, to be able to do that. And maybe there's opportunity to layer on top of what's there, you know, to create a solution that, that layers on top of that and in some way creates that community. But I completely agree with you. Um, you know, they, they, it's, it's some good low hanging fruit there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the next one I want to talk about, the next recurring revenue stream is, is I call it the access model. And, and uh, you called it, you referred to it was streaming media. And uh, th- there's lots of examples of this, the Netflix model or the, the Disney plus model. There's lots of maybe the Amazon, uh, or excuse me, maybe the uh, Adobe stock library where I mm-hmm. pay for access to stock photos. There's lots of different models where you pay for access to something. Right. Yeah. And, and then you have often all you can eat access to that model. Maybe you can talk about the pros and the cons of that. And, and then maybe address a, a concern. Like it seems like a lot of small businesses don't feel they could create something like that. They seems like that would require a lot of money up front to build out that library. Maybe you could share some ideas of how small business owners could use or, or create a, a model with, within that access subscription. Yeah. Space. I think, you know, access in, in more particularly two-sided marketplaces are, are tough. Um, you know, where, you know, you need to, and I, I talk about two-sided marketplace from the standpoint of you have creators that are, are putting things out there and then people that are accessing things from the creators. Now, if you're providing all that content yourself, if you're, I'm going to start a stock photography website by going out and taking a whole bunch of pictures, it's going to take me a lot of time to take you know, all these pictures and, and get this out there. And I'm, I can't provide as much value as if I let the entire audience put pictures into my stock photography library and give people access to that. But now I need to make sure I've got people feeding that library on a consistent basis and they're getting value from the work that they're doing too. And so two-sided marketplaces like that can be, can be really tough and really challenging, but they can be extremely beneficial. And that's a way to scale something like access. We talked about Tesla early on uh, mm-hmm. in our conversation here. And that's what Elon Musk views Tesla as a future of. You'll have access to a car. You'll pay this monthly fee and you'll command a vehicle as soon as they can get through all the self-driving regulations and things like that. The car will show up to your doorstep and you'll pay that. You know, you'll still pay like trip charges and things like that, but you're going to have to pay into the network to have access to that on a monthly basis. Um, Tesla chart, they a lot of their features now are on subscription and you have access to more enhanced maps, more enhanced features and functionality of your vehicle. So you're paying, you know, back, I mean, still, most of us think we buy a car, we get everything that's included with a car and that's it. And we pay for it. Now we buy a car and there's some features and functionality that live within there that we could pay a subscription fee and get access to. And so that, that in itself and, and the next step for that is Tesla to open up that marketplace to outsiders to, to build into, you know, maybe, you know, I want to, I want better games inside, inside my Tesla, or I want better enhanced navigation with uh, 3d mapping. And so if they can open up that marketplace and give people access to, yes. to create those kind of things, there could be a lot more. And that it might be, be on the roadmap, you know, with it would become a platform at that point instead oh, for of sure. just being a, a products company. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Shopify has become Shopify. Mm-hmm. It still amazes me how their, their stock price has gone up as much as it has in the last year <laughs> and where they're at. But you know, Shopify is it, that leading e-commerce platform. I think where Shopify is missing a mark in the opportunity is 
creating that marketplace, you know, they're not, not people compare them oftentimes to Amazon because so many e-com transactions run through there. Um, but they're, they're still not, everybody's got their own website and their own things going on. Oh. I think them creating a common marketplace could be beneficial. The, the, I hadn't even thought of that. You're talking about letting all of the people that sell products with their uh, Shopify store having one common marketplace for all of those products. Yeah, it'd be just as big as Amazon. And I don't understand why, you know, it should be able to go to Shopify.com and see everything from every Shopify merchant out there add to one cart and they can, and maybe they're headed down that path. I mean, they're building a fulfillment network. They're building other solutions in there and better shipping and stuff like that. So Shopify may be going down that path in a different way because um, Amazon, for as much as love I have for them, there's definitely some specific challenges with Amazon too. Yeah, uh, I've got close friends that have had big businesses that get shut down overnight. Um, you know, we have another product that I'm an investor in and advisor to called Capsiva. It's a great pain relieving gel. Awesome, like totally uh, safe product. It's got all the FDA approvals and different things that it needs. But Amazon one day decided like, oh, we don't know about this anymore. Totally removed it for a month off the website and sales yeah. just go to zero. And so, you know, pros and that's, that's where like people love Shopify because they, they're control of their own fate and their own destiny too. They market it themselves. They do whatever they need to themselves. So anyway, got off the subject of access yeah. there a little bit, but well, and before you get back onto access yeah. in our book, we, in my book, monetization, we talk about that as one of the eight tectonic shifts happening today. And we call it platform strategy or building a skyscraper on land you own. And that is the problem with Amazon is you're building on leased land that Amazon yeah. owns. Yeah. And the benefit of Shopify is you're, you're building your own. Platform. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, it's like your lease could, you're, you know, the, the mall developer could come in and be like, Hey, you know what? We, uh, we want to build on this land right here and here's the millions of dollars. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you got to shut your business down, your lease is up. Um, and that's, that's what, what happens is Amazon comes in. They're like, well, you guys are doing really well with this. We should make that too. And they slap the Amazon name on it. And yes. all of a sudden you're driven out of business. I interviewed a guy on my show recently. He was doing almost, he was doing over a hundred million dollars a year with like $95 million of that coming from, Amazon and Amazon decided to compete in the space. They said, thanks for proving that this product is something people want to buy. They went and found their own source for it. And then they put their listing first above his yeah. and, and then they removed his listing. And he oh. said he, what they said, he wasn't shipping fast enough. He, he lost a hundred million dollars of, of recurring revenue, the yeah. annual recurring revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, you know, and that's, that's the challenge in there, you know? Yeah. So I, I think anyway, that that's <laughs> one, one other thing too, that um, I want to mention, and I don't want to forget to mention, it's not really an access thing, but it, it may be, there's a ton of on-demand services that are starting to, starting to come to fruition. So you look at like print on demand, um, you know, there's really great ways to spin up subscription businesses or, you know, singular transaction businesses on an on-demand basis as you build your market, as you build your audience. And uh, this, we see a little, a couple of things happening within Amazon and that, that's what kind of spurred the idea, but, you know, you can, you can start and launch a business with very little, you know, capital needed up front there that you could with looking at on-demand type solutions, you can, 
you know, grow and scale appropriately with, with little investment and doing things like that. So if you want to create a t-shirt subscription, cool t-shirts every month, you find a printer that will do them on demand for you. There's tons of them out there. They'll do that. You start to build your audience. And every month when you release a new one, you know how many subscribers you have, you print that many shirts and ship them out the door. If you need more, you print more. And, and that's another great recurring revenue model is you, you it's basically the e-commerce recurring revenue model yeah. where you're selling e-commerce products, but you're selling them on a recurring basis. Same as the Dollar Shave Club that you yeah. talked about before. Thank you so much, Paul, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, there are tons of opportunities with subscription boxes. Consider creating a box with a replenishable product to increase longevity of customers. Number two, the SaaS model is a great way to have lifetime or at least very long-term customers. However, we need to ensure that we are constantly providing value by evolving and upgrading the software. Number three, to think of a SaaS solution, find the pain points in your industry and see if there's an existing software that could help fix that. Is there a way you could add a tectonic shift to an existing SaaS product, as Google Docs did by adding remote collaboration to a market that Microsoft Word used to dominate? Number four, the membership model should be about providing value and creating a community where your target audience can feel they belong. Number five, when building an access library, we can use our audience to help us provide content as long as we are also providing them value. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn about Paul or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit subta.com. And there's links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And number three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. What recurring revenue streams have you tried and what pros and cons have you seen from them? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your efforts to build and grow your recurring revenue streams. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.